This episode of Hitting Play is brought to you by Sitting. Ugh, I'm so tired of standing around. Have you tried sitting? Well, where can I do that? You can sit on a chair, you can sit on a couch, and you can even sit on the floor. I don't know. I guess I'll try it. Five seconds later. Now I'm tired of sitting. Have you tried standing? But my legs are asleep. Best way. Hello and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me is someone who means a lot to our timeline. Kevin, welcome back. Thanks, glad to be here, and glad to matter to the timeline. (laughs) Well, this week we watched the highly anticipated series about a group of individuals with special abilities assembled by a time traveler from the 22nd century to stop a despotic ruler from conquering the world. DC's Legends of Tomorrow. For the podcast, we watched two episodes, the first and second episodes of the series entitled Pilots Part 1 and Part 2. They were both written by Greg Berlanti, Mark Guggenheim, Andrew Kreisberg, and Phil Klemmer, and directed by Glenn Winter. And just like the other DC shows created by Berlanti and Kreisberg, they are part of the shared Arrowverse. So these are all, you know, connected series. They're all from the same... I, I would say timeline, but that, that certainly changes in the series. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And uh, you can also throw uh, Constantine is actually in that universe as well. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, and uh, this was, like I mentioned, directed by Glenn Winter. His credits include pretty much just Arrow, Flash, Supergirl, uh, just all of those shows. Uh, just uh, these guys really did a good job creating these successful uh, franchises based on these DC properties. And uh, yes, we have yet another one. Yeah, and I actually was just about to mention uh, they are going to have a Flash and Supergirl crossover as well. Yeah, I just heard that. And I was wondering how that was going to work. People are wondering, well, you know, is Supergirl going to air at the same time as as these shows on the CW? And it's like, well, CBS is not going to go out of their way to make sure CW gets their ratings, you know? That's not in their best interest, but uh, they will actually carry over. So that that's nice. That's how it should be. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they, I've been hearing rumors that they may bring back, uh, oh, shoot, what's his name, uh, that that played Clark on Smallville to make a cameo as Superman. Oh, really? But I don't know if that'll actually happen or not. That's tough, too, though, because a lot of these characters from the Arrowverse already appeared in Smallville. Yeah, right? exactly. Different, different histories, different stories. <laughs> yeah. That might be a little complicated, but hey, you know, if you're messing around with the timeline now, you know, as X-Men showed, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Exactly. I really wish that these characters in this Arrowverse were also, you know, connected to that uh, DC Cinematic Universe that they're working on now. But Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. No. Marvel's doing a good job with that. Yep. And I wish DC followed suit, but DC's doing a good job with their television. Yeah, yeah, I definitely... Definitely enjoy their uh, their series. Now, for this episode of the podcast, we watched part one, which we will be discussing in this episode this week, aired January 21st, 2016. Next week, we will review part two, and that aired January 28th, 2016 on the CW. So this will be uh, a two-part hitting play episode as well. So just going into this, uh, Kevin, how much have you watched of these Arrowverse series? 
Uh, well, let's see. Arrow and Flash, I think I am just about current. I think maybe one or two episodes behind. Okay. And one thing that will you know, definitely get into as we get into these characters for the show is pretty much, I don't think anybody makes their debut in this series, in this pilot. These are all secondary characters, side characters that maybe had a couple episode arcs on those other shows and they're all just kind of brought together and uh, just uh, kind of a continuation of their arcs in a, in a sense on this new show. It's kind of a clever idea, you know, it's like, well, who, who can we get? Well, who have we had? You know, it's like, uh, imagine some cork board and Berlanti's office where all of these characters headshots are and uh he's just sitting there throwing darts at it seriously I wish more shows did something like this taking all of their secondary characters and giving them their own series yeah of course we I don't know what Legends of Seinfeld would be (laughs) Jackie Childs and the soup Nazi driving around in Newman's post office vehicle oh I'd watch it (laughs) (laughs) this week Elaine makes a cameo no way All right, so let's get right into these episodes. We'll start with part one of the pilot. We open on London, 2166, and this is an era that they refer to as the Second Blitz. And it's just this dystopian future. We see everything's burning. Uh, Vandal Savage is here. He's wearing uh, his overcoat, almost like a cape. He sort of looks a little bit like uh, Jermaine Clement. Like, (laughs) when when he's playing, like, you know, kind of like the villain character. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) This is, a, this is a Danish actor named Casper Crump, who has a comic book name already. Exactly. And uh, he he does a good job as, as Vandal Savage. I, I, I kind of like the fact that he doesn't have an American accent. He very clearly has, uh, you know, this Danish accent. And that's how it should be. Vandal Savage is not supposed to be just, you know, this American guy that shows up and, you know, hi... Um, he should have a voice that reflects living thousands of years all around the world, you know, being an advisor to all kinds of dictators as, uh, they get into and stuff. But, uh, I, I like, I like Casper Crump here as Vandal Savage. Yeah, he definitely does a good job, uh, with the character. We see him here. He's, uh, kind of right in front of, uh, Big Ben, which has crashed. And, uh, he, he kills a woman and he also kills this boy named Jonas. He, he almost kind of gives Jonas a chance to uh, save himself, but Jonas spits right in his face. And uh, yeah, he kills him. Yeah, you, you almost kind of get the sense that, you know, for a split second that he's going to, you know, let Jonas live. And that, okay, Jonas is going to actually grow up to be uh, what uh, Rip. Yeah, yeah. And then, nope. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> nope, just turns around and kills him. One good thing about, you know, time travel shows, you know, going into this, this is going to very much feature time travel. It's not that bad if somebody gets killed. Exactly. Even though it's pretty shocking to open your show with a child getting murdered. Interesting choice here. But uh, at least you know that there's obviously a chance to save Jonas and his mother. So that's okay. We can move on from there. Mm-hmm. We we next see Rip Hunter. This is uh, played by Arthur Darville. He's in front of the Time Masters Council, which is um, uh, a hall of skyboxes. Yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> I was waiting for trade negotiation talk. And... Oh please! <laughs> <laughs> Highlights of the latest uh, pod racing. <laughs> oh please! Yeah, I mean that's. Yeah, we don't even need to get into that. But uh, no. <laughs> he, Rip Hunter, he's, he's trying to appeal to the Time Masters Council. The, these guys that are, I guess their whole being, their whole existence is to preserve the timeline. 
What that exactly entails, we're not really sure. Because you think they would want to stop someone like Vandal Savage, but they really are not interested in helping Rip Hunter. No, not at all. You know, basically saying, well, but if you're traveling through time, then you're kind of messing with the timeline itself. So yeah. <laughs> you just got to kind of, you know, our job is to kind of sit here and, you know, let whatever happens, happens. Yeah, it's almost like the Watchers from the Fantastic Four. Right. It's like they, they live only to observe, except uh, once in a while they they give a helping hand. Yeah. If you notice here, there's a line where he's talking about some of the cruelest dictators in history. He he mentions Caesar and Hitler and Perdegaton. And I'm like, is this a, an emperor or something I'd never heard of in history class? Yeah, I, I didn't recognize the name either. Uh, Perdegaton is from All-Star Comics number 35, June 1947. Very old character, and he was a time-traveling villain. So, kind of cool. You know, I, I appreciate yeah, the yeah. little references to, to older comics. I'm not as well-versed in DC as I am Marvel. So, a lot of these yeah, references... Yeah, it's like it goes over my head. So, it's cool just to do the research and go, Oh, all right, that is a reference to something. I always appreciate, whether I like the show or not, uh, that they take the time and the care to put these little references in there for the fans. Little Easter eggs and stuff. So, Rip Hunter is basically asking for what's called a time ship. <laughs> you don't really need to hear any more about that to know what it is. It's uh, just a ship that goes through time. And he's going to use it somehow to stop Vandal Savage from conquering the world. And he leaves, and he leaves in a time ship to assemble this team that he needs to stop Vandal Savage. And uh, we see that there's, uh, is it Gideon is the name of the sentient program? Yes, I believe so. And Gideon is like, okay, well, you know, we, we got the time ship and pretty much, oh yeah, let's go. Yep, everything went exactly like I thought it would. <laughs> and uh, we immediately go into these next couple of scenes where uh, Rip Hunter is pretty much just collecting his team. Yep. And so our first character that we're introduced to here is Adam. He's Ray Palmer, played here by Brandon Ruth. Routh? Routh, I think. Routh. Which, you know, I of course, he also showed up in, I believe, The Flash for uh, a few episodes. Uh, Yeah. And uh, it's very interesting that he was given another shot at a DC character after being Superman in that Superman Returns reboot. Yeah, they he kind of had a pretty big role in um, in Arrow as well. Oh, okay. Um, he basically takes over Queen Consolidated. I think he sort of takes over uh, that company. Yeah, because he is a tech billionaire, I believe. Yeah, mentioned. yeah. So that, that was part of one of the storylines was he kind of comes in and takes over the company while he's there. That's where he uh, develops uh, the Adam suit. Okay. Now, Adam, of course, is a very old character. Again, most of these characters are very, very old. He's uh, from Showcase number 34, October 1961. And, of course, if you're familiar with the Justice League and the Super Friends cartoons, I mean, he's just been very close to those characters. Kind of on the side, but very close to those characters for decades and decades. Uh, here, he's kind of a mix between Iron Man and Ant-Man, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of my notes from, from part two was uh, the uh, Ant uh, the Adam-Ant-Man effect is pretty decent. <laughs> it, yeah, he is. He, the suit is cool, and his effect is done well. So, I mean, there, no complaints there. But, uh, yeah, it's just kind of funny. Yeah, and the main difference between, you know, the Adam suit and, like, Iron Man is you can definitely tell how, you know, like the Iron Man suit, it's pretty much all CG when they do it. Yeah. And here, you know, he it's <laughs> some of the fight scenes, it's, you know, obvious he's wearing this kind of clunky suit. Yes. 
And uh, the suit definitely comes into play later on. Yeah. Now, here in this scene, he's kind of flying around uh, through this, uh, you know, supercomputer of sorts that he's, I guess, trying to access something for Arrow, making a cameo here. Yep. And uh, so while he's working on this, uh, they're encountered by some sort of guards. They're not really clear on what's happening here. Uh, He increases in size, bursts through that computer, so whatever he was trying to do is completely gone. That mission's over. And for some reason, Rip chose this moment in time to capture him. Why he didn't just try to catch him while he was sleeping, I I have no idea. But uh, Rip shows up. At first, I thought Rip was with these guys trying to capture him. But but no, it's just uh, so... Whatever, and then he, uh, Men in Black, <laughs> flashes him and <laughs> and takes him in. Kind of like a uh, flash taser gun or something. And he's very yeah. arrogant as he collects these characters, if you notice. Yeah, yeah. Kind of doing the, the villain slow clap when he catches Adam. Oh, yeah, that, that part was pretty good. I wrote that part down in my notes. <laughs> so we next cut to Tibet. In the year 2016. And here we see Sarah Lance. Played by Katie Lotz. And she's in a Tibetan bar in the Himalayas. She is a former member of the League of Assassins. That ties into, you know, Raza Ghul And, you know, all of those that we've been familiar with. Going into the Nolan verse with Batman Begins. Even though it's, it is not connected. And here uh, we see a bar fight. This is going to be one of many bar fights. <laughs> that we see. And yep. uh, for some reason, Rip Hunter is there uh, at the end of that bar fight. And he, too, collects her at that point. He just picks the most inopportune times to uh, encounter these characters. Yeah, it's it's almost like he's kind of doing it just to kind of be like the flashy, like, haha, here I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, White Canary is probably the most recent of these characters. Uh, she made her debut in the comics, uh, Bird of Prey, Volume 2, Issue Number 1, that was July 2010. And I'm not even sure, I've never really read the series, I'm not sure that this is even the same character, if it is the sister of Black Canary. I think it's just the actual character, White Canary, made her debut here. But of course, she has her ties to the Arrowverse and Black Canary and Green Arrow and all that stuff, so here we yeah, see her. Yeah, where, where in Arrowverse, you know, she was you know, Black Canary, and then became, her sister became, you know, Black Canary, yeah. now she's White Canary. Yeah, it's... A little confusing. Yep. And she died in, in Arrow. Yes. Yeah. This is, a uh, yeah, it's, and then uh, with the use of the Lazarus Pit, she's uh, resurrected and uh, <laughs> collected and brought into the Legends of Tomorrow team. So from here, we next cut to Pittsburgh in the year 2016, and here we see Firestorm. And Firestorm's a character I always really liked. He was in one of the later seasons of Super Friends, and uh, just a really cool idea for a character. Because Firestorm is actually the merged form of, uh, well, here it's Jefferson Jackson, known as Jax, and Professor Martin Stein. Uh, Here they're played by Franz Drema and Victor Garber. And, of course, in the comics and the cartoon, it was Ronnie Raymond instead of uh, Jax Jackson. Yeah, and they, they had uh, Ronnie, or was it, I'm trying to remember if in, in uh, Flash if they called him Ronnie or Robbie. I can't remember. Um, but, yeah, he they ended up killing him off. So when they were saying that Firestorm was going to be part of you know this series, I was kind of wondering how they were going to end up doing that. And 
you know, obviously what they did was they just went and found another guy that <laughs> yeah. could also happen to be uh, a metahuman that could merge with him and become Firestorm. Yeah. And Jax goes right back into Firestorm number one, March 1978. So he's not an invented character uh, for the show, fortunately. Uh, but he originally was kind of like Ronnie Raymond's friend from school. Uh, in my research, I read that, you know, he helps Ronnie confront the school jerk and goes on double dates with him and stuff. <laughs> so it's nice to see Jax get his due here and actually become part of the merged Firestorm character. And I like the suit. You know, some of the suits are a little goofy in uh, some of these real-life comic book adaptations. And even though, you know, it's bright red and yellow, kind of like the comics, I do I do like the Firestorm suit. Yeah, it's pretty cool looking. One of my favorite costumes from the comics, anyway. Now, here we see uh, the two of them in the merged form of Firestorm. Uh, they're chasing down some criminal at a chemical plant or factory. It's like a refinery or something. And we, we see... Uh, you know, Jax as Firestorm, but we hear Martin Stein's words to him, and he's, you know, telling him about the, you know, the likelihood of the, the chemicals being explosive and how he should be careful, and, and uh, you know, so we see that there's going to be this kind of conflict between what, uh, what Jackson wants to do and what Professor Stein is kind of like saying in his ear. Yeah, and that's definitely one of the better parts of this show is kind of the, the back and forth between a bunch of the characters. Yeah. Um, you know, it, in particular, you know, having him, like those two as Firestorm, I think works better than the original two that they had in, in Flash. So, of course, here Rip Hunter also confronts them and collects them. And uh, we next cut to St. Roque. In the year 2016. This is a fictional city from DC Comics. And here we see Kendra Saunders. Played by Ciara Rene. And Carter Hall. Played by Falk Henschel. And we learn that they are the latest reincarnations of Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Uh, we see that they are rescuing some lady here in an alley. Carter is telling Kendra that her flying was a little clumsy. And she's trying to, you know, say back to him that, hey, she was only a barista only two months ago. And we learn that there is a, a very strange and convoluted history with these characters. Now, Hawkman and Hawkgirl, they made their debut a long, long time ago. Flash Comics number one, January 1940. These are very, very old characters. Uh, Hawkman was Carter Hall. Hawkgirl was Shira Saunders. She became Hawkgirl a little later. Uh, All-Star Comics number five, July 1941. So like a year and a half before she actually became Hawkgirl and not just... Carter Hall's girlfriend. And there is uh, that Golden Age origin story of Hawkman being Prince Khufu and he being murdered by Hathset, who was an Egyptian priest. It, it was spun in this, as we'll get into, that Hathset becomes Vandal Savage, but that originally was not the case. This was just uh, part of Hawkman's Golden Age origin story. And uh, actually, not until the 60s when DC kind of changed some of the origins and the characters here. Uh, Brave and the Bold, number 34, 1961. Hawkman and Hawkgirl were actually police officers on an alien world of hawk people. And their names were Katar Hall and Shayera Hall, or Shayera Hall. And uh, it was like Carter Hall is spelled K-A-T-A-R-H-O-L. It's uh, very strange, but uh, growing up, that's how I knew... Hawkman and Hawkgirl. I thought they were just, you know, police officers, alien police officers. And that's, you know, what they were on the Super Friends and, and shows like that. 
But uh, yeah. learning this from the show, I'm like, really? They're Egyptian reincarnated? And, uh, but that is their original 1940 storyline. Not sure how well it works here, but we'll get into that. So after they're collected, we cut to Central City in the year 2016. We see Leonard Snart, played by Wentworth Miller, and Mick Rory, played by Dominic Purcell, and they're robbing the Central City Bullion Exchange. And of course, these two characters are Captain Cold and Heatwave from the comics. Yeah, I just, I love how they, you know, they come out and they're just getting into this like ratty old, you know, minivan and <laughs> with like what they've stolen in a box of diapers. Yes. You know, just sort of, they'll never think of <laughs> of us being criminals. <laughs> yeah, they're not the brightest. No, no, not at all. Especially Heatwave. I mean, they really make yeah, them out he, to be a Heatwave, <laughs> yeah, he, Snart, I think, is a lot smarter than then he acts. Yeah. Uh, and you get glimpses of it, you know, every now and then. It's funny to see Wentworth Miller and Dominic Purcell, you know, as a duo again, after watching Prison Break years ago. Right, Just right. an odd, odd choice again to, to bring uh, these two back in that way. But uh, what what do you think of Wentworth Miller's acting style here as Captain Cold? I, <laughs> it's funny. When he first showed up, you know, uh, I was kind of like, Oh, geez, I don't know. This guy is just, he's just chewing the scene. Like, the, it's like, <laughs> oh my word, what is going on? But what's funny is the more I saw him on screen, the more I started to enjoy it. <laughs> and <laughs> and actually, I, I think he's could be my favorite character in this series. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. I, I think it's, you know, just kind of the... Sort of sarcastic, sort of just kind of, uh, or, you know, whatever. I don't know. I, I, I'm finding myself enjoying it more and more. Especially, you know, like when you get back and forth between, you know, him and, and the Adam. And, yeah. you know, the Adam tends to be a lot more, you know, like, hey, you know. <laughs> and, and then he's just like, well, you're not so great. Yeah. <laughs> and I, the back and forth between the two of them is, you know, just... <laughs> really fun it's such an oh an interesting choice like it's almost like yeah. a eartha kit style line read it's well you know like that's interesting <laughs> yeah it's it's almost like uh, i'm bored to be here but whatever yeah <laughs> snarky and blasé through every scene yeah i don't but yeah like i was saying i, I don't know why but <laughs> I just find myself enjoying it. Yeah, well, probably because of how perplexing it is, but... Yeah. It's it's intriguing. <laughs> but, you know, if you go back to Super Friends and, you know, how his voice was portrayed there as Captain Cold, you know, it's just like, I'll freeze him and... It's like, okay, well... Uh, yep. <laughs> you know, you, you can't do that, so what's the next best no. thing? Eartha Kit as Catwoman. <laughs> <laughs> And, and one thing I do like about... See, I'm not too familiar with Heatwave, but Captain Cold, just through the old comics and the cartoon, I like how he does have those glasses, and he does have that blue parka that's, like, fur-lined. Yeah. So I do like that he is given that that jacket here. I should also mention, too, in my notes here, about the characters of Captain Cold and Heatwave. Uh, Captain Cold, uh, of course, is an old character. Showcase number 8, June 1957. And, you know, he was like a, a villain in the cartoons, at least, to The Flash. Because, you know, here's a guy that moves really fast. Well, how are you going to slow him down? Well, you maybe you, you freeze can freeze him. him. Yep. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, just really a one-dimensional character. 
And in Flash number 140, this is November 1963, they created this character, Mick Rory, known as Heatwave. And he's kind of an opposite of Captain Cold. This guy has a gun that shoots heat and fire. And really, he was made to be a rival to Captain Cold. So uh, later on in the comics, much, much later, they kind of put the two together and they, they're counterparts. They balance each other out. And uh, it's an interesting dynamic. And I'm glad that kind of carried over here. They don't hate each other. They're very much partners. Uh, they, they both bring something different to the table. Uh, literally with heat and fire, <laughs> different elements they bring to the table. But uh, you can see they work together and they are somewhat successful at what they do. Yeah. Really, these are two guys that their powers lie only in their weaponry. And the fact that they're just criminal scumbags. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, well, I should say, Snart does have that expertise. As we'll see later on, it comes into play where he's able to shut down security systems. And Rory does have kind of an idea of what to do in those situations as well. Yeah. That being said, Rip Hunter should have just stolen their guns. Yeah, and and I did think it was interesting that, you know, you've already got Firestorm. Do you really need Heat Wave? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, very strange. And as we'll see of Rip Hunter's gun, he probably should have just upgraded. Yeah. <laughs> so after Snart and Rory are collected by Rip Hunter, they wake up on a rooftop with the rest of the team. They're all kind of still dazed from whatever he did to them. And uh, as they wake up, uh, Rip Hunter now gives them this whole lecture about uh, what will happen in the future, what Vandal Savage will do to the timeline. He tells them that he needs their help to defeat Vandal Savage, and they are chosen because they are viewed as legends in the future. This, of course, is why we get the name Legends of Tomorrow. That th This is what these characters are told that they will be, and this is their time to assemble and rise to this threat and, you know, cement their legacies as these legends Rip Hunter also takes out this handheld device and he gives them a kind of a holographic view of what the world will look like in 150 years if they decide to do nothing. And, uh, you know, this is just a world that's completely decimated and, you know, destroyed by Vandal Savage and his men as he continues his, you know, conquering of the world. I'm just looking forward to the future where we can have an IMAX theater in our pocket. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's <really>. pretty sweet. <laughs> <laughs> And what's funny here is that the characters consider the offer. Some of them start to leave, of course, Snart being the first one to, to walk away. But uh, no, this is when, you know, Rip tells them that they'll, they'll be remembered as legends. Right. So everyone kind of discusses, you know, whether they should uh, consider the offer. We, we get a scene where the Adam and Green Arrow discuss what this could mean for them. Uh, we also get a scene where Hawkman and Hawkgirl uh, discuss uh, whether they should join Rip Hunter or not. And uh, kind of a odd thing here where they decide to fight over it yeah <laughs> it's such a weird weird yeah i don't know yeah it's like well we'll fight over it and i always win like hawkman says yep and we should probably discuss this when hawkman and hawkgirl engage in their fighting or their powers as we see earlier these wings kind of sprout out of nowhere yeah what did you think about that it's, I don't know, it's, it's weird, you know? Yeah. I, I know it's, it's hard a... to ground these characters in reality. I know Berlanti and Kreisberg were really trying hard to make these shows grounded. I believe even at first they didn't want powers to be introduced. But once Flash right. started, you know, that's kind of all out the window with the metahumans and everything. Yeah. But, yeah, these, like, magic wings kind of sprouting out of nowhere. 
I mean, I was thinking, could they do it with, like, energy? Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's some sort of energy look to them that disappear when their powers aren't engaged. Uh, but yeah. they really... But no, they just look like, they look like you know, normal wings, you know, just coming out of their backs. It's very weird to see because back in the cartoons and the comics, you know, they had they these had wings. wings. Yeah. yeah, it was very much a part of their body. And, you know, they had to conceal it in some way if they were you know, going out into public or, you know, trying to disguise themselves. It was just part of their body, but not here. And, and another thing too, is not just their wings sprout, but also their costumes some, sometimes <laughs> yeah. magically appear. Okay. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure on that. I was like, I was kind of half paying attention and, you know, I had watched this when it first aired. So, you know, it's been a while <laughs> since I yeah. saw it and I was like, yeah, it just it was odd that it was like, hey, they're in costume now all for some reason. Yeah, out of nowhere. And I, I guess we, we can understand Firestorm. It does the same thing when he merges with Professor Stein. But, it, you know, it, it is kind of silly. Yeah. But it, there's not a real set of rules, it seems, when it comes to Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Because when, they, when they're battling over their decision, uh, the wings just kind of sprout out of nowhere. But also when they're fighting... You get the wings and the costume and the weapons. Right. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. What do you, what do you think of the, the look of these costumes too? I mean, the look, the look of it's okay. Um, you know, for what it is, the acting and I, I don't know, it's <laughs> that, that part of it just kind of, I don't know. It doesn't do anything for me. I, I kind of, when it's, you know, the scenes with just the two of them together, kind of doing their usual arguing about, well, you just don't remember. And, and yeah. you know, like, it's just like, okay, they've been, we get it. She doesn't remember. I mean, I know this is the pilot for this series and they've already gone through all of that on Arrow and Flash and all that. But yeah, it's, I've just kind of, you know, okay, they can, <laughs> as awful as it sounds, okay, they can be, you know, resurrected and they will be resurrected again. And, you know, so, you know, if they have to go away for a, a chunk of the series, while that happens, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, I really could have gone without these characters, but I know they're so now intertwined with the storyline. Their masks especially look goofy to me. I don't know. I, I think they could have gone without it, although they're trying to make them really look like Hawkman and Hawkgirl from the comics, but yeah. Yeah. And I kind of had the same feeling about, you know, those characters when they were on Smallville, too, so. Yeah. So now after this, we cut to Sarah and Laurel Lance discussing while training, I believe this is Arrow's lair. Yep. And uh, they're, you know, fighting while they're talking. A lot of fighting and talking going on in this. <laughs> and uh, at the end here, Laurel gives Sarah a new suit. Uh, I believe it was created by, is his name Cisco yep. from The Flash? Yeah, Cisco. He's like the, the suit guy for the, for the Arrowverse. And the nickname guy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that too. Although White Canary seems to be Laurel's choice for her sister here. Right. Kind of a reflection of how she should be continuing to use her life for good. And now instead of being in the shadows, she should, you know, not wear a mask, be out in the open and do good in the world. And that's why she's the White Canary now. Right. Which are, are canaries even black and white? I, 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 <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I always had a problem with the canary name anyway. It's just like, you know, you're a bird that's, you know, most known for passing out in the presence of gas. <laughs> but, oh well. 
That's fitting for, for the... Laurel, I suppose, and <laughs> she tends to get knocked out a lot. <laughs> so she decides to pick up this new mantle, and, uh, you know, she's going to join the team as well. And we cut to Snart and Rory discussing whether they should join the team, and uh, time travel very much intrigues them. You know, it's like, you know, think about it, before DNA analysis and fingerprints and all this stuff. So to them, it's an opportunity to steal more gems, I guess. Yeah. Very stereotypical, you know, robbers from the comics. Like, gems. That's all we need is gems. <laughs> and also now we cut to a very unethical Martin Stein <laughs> with Jefferson discussing, uh, you know, whether they should join the team. And, and Jax is just not interested. Like, this is something he wants no part of. But of course, with no Jax, there's no Firestorm. And Martin Stein just can't bear the idea of not being able to join this time traveling expedition you know as a as a physicist this is just everything he's been le learning about and working for uh, his whole life and just uh does not want to miss this for anything uh, so he offers him a toast and uh jefferson says knock yourself out you know and uh, professor stein says my, <laughs> my words exactly or you took the words out of my mouth something to that effect yeah jefferson drops the glass and he's knocked out what a jerk yeah, I was that kind of caught me by surprise that he would do that. Yeah, and just uh and, and he falls hard too. <laughs> oh yeah. Like right where he dropped the glass, so it's broken glass all over the floor too. Yeah. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> a very unethical professor. Fast acting too. I mean, it was like bam, he was out. Yeah, that was potent stuff whatever <laughs> whatever he concocted. <laughs> <laughs> Now, from here with uh, almost everybody deciding they want to go, uh, they all decide to meet at this open lot somewhere. And uh, Rip Hunter meets them all, and he reveals that his time ship is there. It's just cloaked. And uh, this is a, a time ship called the Wave Rider. And it's an, a neat design for the spaceship. I like it. Yeah, me too. Now, Wave Rider is actually a name of a DC character that came from the future to stop a despotic you know leader or whatever so it's kind of a nice nod to another character that had a similar mission in dc comics history that's uh, pretty cool so for some reason they decide that what they should do is travel to saint roque on october 17th 1975 this is going to be their first best chance at stopping vandal savage now, as they leave, <laughs> there's this unfortunate scene where two guys, I believe they're credited as frat guys in the credits, see this time ship take off. And they're just, you know, blown away by what they just saw. And uh, who shows up? Boba Fett. Well, <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> that was my first thought, too. I was like, why? <laughs> why is there like a low rent Boba Fett? <laughs> and uh, his name is Kronos. Because, you know, of course, time. Right. He starts to check on something, does some calculations, and basically what he's doing is trying to see if these two guys are consequential to the timeline, and evidently they're not, and so he decides to kill them. <laughs> Why, I don't know. Yeah, it, that was kind of, uh, really kind of confusing when you find out why he's actually there. It just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense other than the fact that, okay, with these guys just saw, you know, the time ship and they saw this other dude just appear out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, but still, it seems a, a bit drastic. Yeah, really. And we do see them get killed. I mean, it's not gory, but, I mean, it is graphic. <laughs> it's pretty cool looking, but, yeah. 
they're uh, they're vaporized. I, I guess if you are a time traveler and you want to, you know, make sure the timeline is clean, you would use something that completely vaporizes your target. So. Yeah. <laughs> no evidence left except for, I think, their vehicle. <laughs> so the Wave Rider ends up at St. Roque University. And uh, this is uh, 1975. And you can tell because everything is tinted yellow. Yeah. <laughs> Just like 1950, everything was black and white. Yep. 1975, tinted yellow. <laughs> One thing I will say about, about the series is uh, through the first two episodes, when you do see them go back to a different era, they do a pretty good job, um, you know, just kind of making it look like that era. Yeah. Know, not necessarily just changing the, the tint on the camera, but, you know, like the costumes and uh all that stuff. They do a pretty good job with it. Yeah. Now here, Rip Hunter, Professor Stein, Carter Hall, Kendra Saunders, they meet with a man named Professor Aldous Boardman. And they have to meet him there because he's the world's foremost expert on Vandal Savage. And they came to October 17th, 1975, exactly because Professor Boardman will die within 24 hours from that time. And so I guess this was a way of getting information from him, meeting with him, getting their, their best advice and best shot at, at defeating Vandal Savage, but not really changing the timeline because he's going to die anyway. Right. Which uh, Professor Stein exclaims, this is a brilliant idea. <laughs> kind of just a sad situation. Yeah. And he mentions, too, that he dies of just suspicious circumstances or unknown circumstances. It's just, he's just found dead. Yeah. Just strange. <laughs> And so at the university, Aldous Boardman recognizes Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Uh, he's like amazed to see them there. And he gives them this history of them and Vandal Savage that their histories are all tied together. And now we get our flashback scene. We see that 4,000 years ago, Vandal Savage was an Egyptian priest named Hathset who was secretly in love with a priestess named Cheara, who of course is Kendra in a previous life. But Chayara was already in love with Prince Khufu, and this is Carter in a previous life. And when Hathset learns about their affair, he kills them and makes this sort of prayer of condemnation to Horus, the hawk god. Now, at the same time, and I'm not sure if I even get these details right, but this is how I interpreted it. At the same time this happens, the dying Chayara also prays to the same god, asking now the hawk god to protect her and Khufu forever. So now I guess the this god now has to honor both of these requests. <laughs> and for some reason, radioactive meteorites rain down and their three lives were accidentally bound together. And Boardman believes that this is due to being exposed to the same radiation. And I believe it's also uh, explained to Professor Stein that, you know, it's similar to what happened with you in the particle accelerator? It's like, it is? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we get the theory here that killing the reincarnations of Khufu and Chayara throughout time is actually what sustains Vandal Savage's immortality. So yeah, this is a, a weird retelling of the Hawkman and Hawkgirl origin story. Uh, it, now, back in the comics, now, Vandal Savage is very, very old. December 1943 was his debut in Green Lantern number 10. And his story is that he was a caveman named Vandar Odg, A-D-G. 
and he was exposed to a radioactive meteorite, as most people were in DC Comics in the 40s. Yep. Uh, and so that's what gave him his, you know, immortality. And so he's been able to live throughout the centuries. In fact, I believe in the comics he claims to be Julius Caesar, Genghis Khan, Blackbeard, uh, why he decided to hit the seas as a pirate for a little time. I don't know, but <laughs> that's what he decided to do. And then as he got more into the modern era, uh, Vandal Savage decided that he was going to be on the sidelines and just be an advisor to, you know, some of the, uh, the world's worst dictators. And uh, that's how he kind of consolidated his power and became this wealthy and very dangerous individual. Here, as I mentioned, they kind of spun him together with Hathset, the, the priest that kills the two of them. And so now we get this weird story where throughout time he is going to look for Hawkman and Hawkgirl and murder them. And that's what's going to keep him living. And so now at the end of this explanation, we get this scene where, where Boardman reveals to Carter and Kendra that he is actually their son from their previous lives. <laughs> I think uh, my, my wife's reaction was, to that was, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> He didn't want to tell them right away, but then he took out a photo and Carter and Kendra throughout this whole thing. It's strange that Carter's always like, seems to be the one that knows what's going on. He has, as he mentions, thousands of years of memories in his mind. Kendra's the one that never kind of knows what's going on. It seems. Yeah. And so, you know, she's like, I'm sorry, I don't remember you. And, you know, he's like, oh, that's quite all right. My mother said, you know, or you said that I wouldn't remember you. And it's funny, you know, with... <laughs> <laughs> with him, you know, saying like, oh, I've been alive for thousands of years. I've got all this knowledge. And he makes some comment at one point, uh, you know, that he had never seen anything like in the time ship. <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah, it's from the future. <laughs> it just seemed like an odd line. You're like, oh, yeah. I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> well, duh. <laughs> So, now, while this is all going on and they're getting this education, we cut to White Canary, Snart, and Rory, and they decide that they're going to leave and explore the 70s. I guess she mentions they're going to get weird in the 70s? Yeah. <laughs> it's an odd way of putting things, and basically all they do is go to a bar. Yep. Rory buys them dollar beers. Fortunately, the design of the dollar hasn't changed in many years, so they I guess he could pass off dollar bills at the bar, as long as they don't read the little uh, date. Right. <laughs> Wait, there's a different Secretary of the Treasury on this. Hold on a second. <laughs> so, of course, as any visit to a bar by the White Canary goes, it ends in a fight, and we get this big fight scene where, you know, a bunch of stuntmen come out and get hit with chairs. <laughs> Someone gets dragged along the bar. <laughs> <laughs> and Snart decides he's going to fight too and just throws his beers to the ground. It's like, hey, come on. <laughs> hey, you paid a whole dollar for that. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> So the first group at the university decides that now it's time to leave, but they're going to take Boardman with them. They don't want to see him die. You know, uh, Kendra, even though doesn't remember and still doesn't remember her histories with Carter, decides this is my son and we need to make sure he's safe. So much for not messing with the timeline, huh? Yeah, really. And, you know, if this show really makes it clear that you aren't to not mess with the timeline at all. That really goes out the window quite fast. Oh, yeah. So they all try to go back to the Wave Rider, and as they do, uh, we see that uh, Kronos is there waiting for them, and he attacks the ship as they all arrive. 
In this scene, we also see Rip Hunter take out his weapon, which is like a glowing six-shooter? Yeah. Really dumb weapon. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, throughout the confusion and everything as they try to get to the ship, Boardman is shot. Now, Rip here reveals that Kronos actually works for the Council of Time Masters and came after them because Rip actually did not get permission to use that time ship. So this was a, kind of a, a strange moment here. And, and Kronos, for, I guess he's not really a good guy, but for someone working, like, for at least, at least a neutral body, is pretty evil looking. Yeah. I, I guess he is a bounty hunter, so maybe he is just a mercenary that they hired to retrieve the time ship. But yeah, he but definitely we, has no no qualms about just, you know, killing everything in sight, so. Yeah, really. And so... We can see exactly why Rip was so eager to leave the meeting at the beginning with the Time Council. He, in fact, did not get the permission to take the time ship. (laughs) Now, it's weird here because, and I saw other people were nitpicking this scene, Uh, Adam decides to get his suit and mobilize, Uh, Stein and Jax merge together to become Firestorm, and they're all trying to fight Kronos, and if you notice... Especially Firestorm and Adam, they're just like firing and hitting the ground as they fly by. Yeah. And no one is hitting them. Yep. <laughs> it's like terrible, terrible aim. Yeah, it's like they, this... they go to Stormtrooper training or something. Really? That's what it looks like. It's just terrible action direction here. Like, I know the, the characters have to, you know, survive and everything, and I, I guess this bounty hunter has to still be alive, but terrible job here. It completely misses them. <laughs> And of course, the only thing that actually defeats Kronos is that when White Canary, Snart, and Rory, you know, show up again, they crash their car into him. Yeah. So, whatever, that knocks him out. (laughs) (laughs) And they all, you know, gather on the ship. And and now, Rip reveals here, this is a a, a rude awakening for for the team, he reveals that he chose them because their lives actually have a very minimal effect on the recorded timeline. And they actually aren't the legends that uh, that he described them as. Uh, what he said about the future is true. It's going to be terrible. But uh, they really meant nothing. So it doesn't matter if they were taken from time and, you know, if they live or die. Now they recognize that for Rip to do this, he must have been desperate. To steal the time ship, to, you know, to lie to all of them, something must have happened. And he mentions that he does want to avenge the deaths of his wife and son. And of course, this is the woman and the boy that we saw at the very beginning of the episode. And of course, I saw a lot of people mentioning online, like, why didn't he just go back to when he was about to (laughs) kill his son and just stop him then? Exactly. It gets so muddy and murky when you deal with time travel. It really makes you appreciate, like, good time travel stories where they meticulously pay attention to detail and uh, plot out what timelines change and what, you know, it's just, it can get so complicated. And there's a lot of logical flaws, especially as we go through this. Now, Boardman uh, is brought to the medical bay on the ship, and he eventually does die. He has this uh, touching moment with uh, Kendra and gives her the necklace that she once gave to him in a previous life. And after that happens, the group... They come to terms. They they decide they're going to stay and help Rip Hunter stop Vandal Savage. They're going to change the future. And you know what? Actually become the legends of tomorrow that he falsely claimed that they'd be. <laughs> it's like, really? They're all in? 
Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of like, huh. Yeah. Uh, all right. And, and these, these people are mostly loners and, and some are quite dangerous. You know, mm. you, you don't think that they would immediately get this sense of teamwork and camaraderie, especially after they've been lied to and attacked. Yeah. I, I mean, especially, I mean, Snart, at least, you know, he's seems to be very, you know, loyal to whoever his crew is, at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it just it just seems odd that you know like hey this this guy lied to us you know kind of put us in danger and you know i don't know <laughs> so after they decide that they will in fact try to become these legends of tomorrow we cut to norway also in 1975 and at a military base we see these you know, dead bodies on the ground and everything, and we cut to Savage acquiring this Soviet nuclear warhead, really just caressing it. <laughs> and that's where part one of the pilot ends. So, you know, what what did you think now so far going through part one? Well, going through part one, I was kind of confused as to why it was a two-part episode, because really, they could have just made it two separate episodes, yeah. The only part that kind of ties it into the episode that we're going to get into is just that last little bit with, you know, with the nuclear weapon. Yeah. Yeah, like I, like I said the whole hawk girl hawk man thing I could do without them. <laughs> yeah. Um Snart probably is my favorite character in the whole thing so far. The back and forth with him, you know, and Adam is definitely fun. Rip's decent. You know, he kind of, I don't know, almost reminds me of like a, <laughs> like, it's like a fancy version of Star-Lord almost. Oh, yeah. This is like very much a Guardians of the Galaxy type team. Yeah. You know, Guardians of the Galaxy are also a bunch of characters from, you know, going back to the 70s and 80s. That are thrown together and, you know, became the successful team. So you can see why DC was like, hey, why not? You know, we have these these actors that have already appeared in our other shows. And, you know, let's spin a tale of why we need them all together. Yeah, exactly. I can see why they did it. Yeah. I mean, I never really judge a show based off of, you know, just the pilot episode. So it's definitely... One, I was planning on watching kind of a, a handful of episodes before kind of making up my mind on it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the, the first one, it I don't know. It was, I could see potential for some of it, especially if they kind of go with more of a, a tactic of just kind of the random DC villain or other heroes that they can just kind of team up with or go against, you know, for an episode or two here or there and then move yeah. on. You know, that was one thing I liked about, you know, early episodes of Arrow was you'd get occasional, you know, characters like that that would kind of pop up and you'd be like, oh, cool, that's, you know, that's so-and-so. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to more cameos. And, you know, I, I am giving this the chance that it deserves. And this is a two-part pilot, so I am watching beyond this. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to see more of those, you know, little Easter eggs thrown yeah. in there as well. And I do know they are going to have a, a Jonah Hex episode. So, I'm, yeah, I have read that. I'm looking forward to that. That could be cool. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm one of those people. I didn't completely hate the movie. So I wouldn't I never say, even saw it. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's a great movie, but, you know, it, it was a fun watch. Yeah. You know, as long as you don't, you know, 
nitpick it, you know, too deep. You just kind of watch it and enjoy it. You know, it was a decent movie. So, yeah, just like with these characters, I'm not too invested in the DC properties. So whatever they want to do with the characters is fine with me. Yep. As long as it's an enjoyable watch, you know, change their histories and, and whatever. So it didn't really bother me, but uh, a very promising start. I'm always a sucker for time travel. I always say that on this on this show. Um, although it's it's tough. It's very tough. If you want to get into a time travel show, you really have to pay attention, especially in the days now that we're in of message boards. Yeah. They'll let you know where you messed <laughs> up. Uh, there was one other part uh, in this episode that just I cracked up at when they, you know, first mentioned the name uh, Vandal Savage. And uh, I forget who it is. Somebody <laughs> says Randall Savage. And yes. I, just, <laughs> I just wanted somebody to be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That was on the rooftop. I think that was uh, that was Rory. That was right. Heatwave. Right. Well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. Look for our review of part two of the pilot next week. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, what the timeline means to you, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at hittingplay. Now, Kevin, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, sure. Uh, a lot of the stuff I do can be found at onewallcinema.com. Uh, I do mystery science theater type commentary, uh, which can be found on the uh, Rift Tracks website, as well as uh, Gumroad. Um, again, the links for that are on onewallcinema.com. On Twitter, I am at onewallcinema. On Vine, I am at onewallcinema as well. Um, I'm on Facebook. I also have a video series that my kids do uh, called Kids Unboxing Stuff. So if you like watching people open up stuff, uh, like blind bags, blind boxes, stuff like that, check it out. A lot of kids, I guess, are into that. So if you got kids, they can definitely watch it because it's family friendly. So yes, and they're very funny. Yeah, I pretty much let them, you know, run the whole show. So it's it they'll go off on tangents. And you know, it's just kids being kids. So <laughs> and actually, if you uh, wanted to check out uh, some of the mystery science theater type stuff that I've got over on gumroad.com, uh, you can actually use the coupon code hitting play. And uh, that should save you um, I think it drops the price of anything that's over a dollar down to a dollar, I believe. Well, that's great. I am on Twitter. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I am also on Vine. There my name is also MC and Friends, and there I do little flip page cartoons and humorous animations. If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. And we try to be creative with those. Uh, for Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher, and we can now be found on TuneIn Radio, and coming soon, hopefully, to Google Play. Well, we have been Kevin and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> and look forward to the podcast of tomorrow. Next week. <laughs> so not tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's right, next week. <laughs>